0: Okay, uh, I just want to say a few things about offering before we invite our, well, it's a guest to ECF, but it's family to us, and so we're excited to have Pastor Jack and Trish here this morning, Uh, but I do have a testimony, so those who know me well uh, know that if I have any money in my pocket and anybody ever comes up to me. usually don't have any money in my pocket anymore. And I just, I love to give. I love to give, 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 give. And somebody showed up at the Rose Center on Wednesday. I think it was Wednesday. We were in a meeting outside and just a guy showed up to the Rose Center and he was just in need. He just was in need of, you know, a blessing. He needed financial things. But I knew he was in need of something more, something better, something bigger, something completely life-changing. And so I said, his name was Ricky. And I said, Ricky, my friend, I said, well, come inside to the Rose Center, which is our office building, for just a little bit. I just want to talk to you. I want to hear about your life, know about you a little bit more. Um, And of course, he didn't know it, but I was going to bless him anyway, uh, financially. And so I just got to talking to him. He was telling me a little bit about his life story. And I just began to talk to him about what Jesus meant to me and the relationship I have with God. And I could just see his, he's just looking at me. He's like, really? Is that possible? I said, oh, it's possible, my friend. In fact, it's so possible that it can happen now. You can have a relationship today with Jesus. And I just let him, I, talk, I gave him scriptures. I talked to him about Jesus, and I, and I just looked right at him. I said, Ricky, I said, do you want to receive Jesus today? He says, I do, I do. And I just began to pray with him, and the countenance on this man's face gives me chills. The countenance on this man's face was changed in a moment, in a moment. When we said amen, I looked up, he's crying, and I looked at him, and a smile on his face, actually the ladies who were meeting with saw it because they saw him going in. We were meeting about uh, the women's group, and then they saw him going out, and his countenance was different. Yeah, uh, Marine was there. Countenance was different on the way out, and he experienced. I gave him a devotional, and he was leaving town. He was going somewhere else. So pray for Ricky, okay? That God cont- He does. God is moving, but God continues to move in his life. So, Amen. Heaven is celebrating. Heaven is celebrating. Amen. Okay, I've got a scripture for you guys. For uh, oh, before I forget, tonight. Speaking of heaven celebrations. Tonight, 4 p.m., right here, we are going to have a celebration service for Chris Kidder because she is celebrating. She has been celebrating for two weeks with Jesus in person, and she's having a blast. And we're going to come together as a church family tonight, 4 p.m., right here, Everyone is invited. I hope that all of you can attend. Uh, We are going to just worship. We're going to take communion again. We are going to just have some encouragement. We're going to share testimonies and stories about what Chris meant to us in our life because she was so impactful to probably nearly every single person in this room in some way, shape, or form, whether you knew it or not, because she has had a lot of influence over other people that maybe you didn't even realize. Uh, She's a wonderful woman of God. We're going to celebrate her tonight. And then immediately following the service, we're having a church family dinner. So if you forget, as you walk out, you'll see the tables, which will remind you, you're all invited for food and fellowship immediately following the service, and we're just going to hang out and have a church family gathering together tonight, okay? So that's 4 p.m. this evening. And one other thing, if you did not receive an email regarding that, that means I don't have your email, (laughs) Because I try to send it out to everybody. So if before the end of service today, you could fill out a connection card, even slip it in. There's that offering box in the back next to the door. Just slip it in there or hand it to me. I want to make sure I have your email address. You may have already given it. I may have misplaced it. Sorry about that. But just give it to me again. If you didn't get the email, then give it to me again just to make sure we have all of our church family there. Okay, Matthew 6, verse 33. Talk about offering here. It says, but seek first. It's about not worrying, not fretting, not being upset about things. It says, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. And you have to go back and say, what are all these things shall be added to you? What you shall eat what you shall wear, where you shall live, and you can extrapolate to the job that you have or the job that's going to come, what's going to happen in your future, any way, shape, or form, all you stuff about your kids, stuff about your parents, all of it. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and when we do that with our tithes and our offerings and our finances, but when we do that in every area of our life, every area of our life, all these things end up being added to us. Amen? What a glorious verse for us. Let's pray over our offering, and I'm going to introduce our, our speakers today. Heavenly Father, I just thank you, Lord, for every gift, every giver. Father, I thank you, Lord, that you just pay every bill, and you take care of every need. And Lord, our goal is to seek first your kingdom and your righteousness. And we thank you that you are our provider, that you use jobs and you use other things in this world, but you truly are our provider. We thank you that you are that to us. In your precious name, we pray. Amen. Amen. Okay, we want to introduce family to us at some point, for sure, to be family to all of us here at ECF.
1: So, before we have Pastor Jack come up to share with us, um, I just want to tell you a tiny little story so that you understand the heart of the of the man that we love that we've brought here to share with you. Um, at East, uh, not at ECF. This is ECF. At NC4, growing up, it was um, there was a spirit of freedom there. There was a spirit of celebration and worship. And there was one service when I was, we were all dancing. People were just dancing up front. People would come up to dance, and I was dancing with um, Jack and Trish's daughter, Kristen, and probably a whole group of girls, and we're dancing, and we're dancing, you know, in worship. We're teenagers, and one woman wasn't worshiping, she was paying attention to our dancing, apparently, and um, she came up behind me and Kristen and she came between us and she put her arm around each side of us and she said, uh, "Young ladies, I don't think it's right that you're shaking your butt in church. I don't think that that's appropriate that you're shaking your tush in church and but we were just kind of taken back because we were worshiping I, I mean we weren't worshiping you know like inappropriately we were worshiping we were, worshiping. We were dancing. And I sat down, you know, worship ended, and I sat down, and um, at this point, just in my life, there were just shackles of legalism on me. I'm trying to figure out God. I'm trying to figure out what it even means to be loved at all, let alone, you know, loved by the creator of the universe. I'm trying to figure these things out, Um, but I sit down, and I carry this kind of shame, like I must have been doing something wrong, and immediately after, after worship, you know, Pastor Jack gets up. And he just he just addresses it right then and there. He said, you know, I want to say something. I want to say something. If our young people are here and if they're worshiping Jesus here with us in this family in this body, if they're worshiping I would rather have them shaking their butt here in worship of the king than out there in the world. And I just sat there and just the shame just someone in authority stood up for me. Someone in authority showed me what relationship is and thought the best of me, and it brought freedom. It ministered freedom. So as we introduce Pastor Jack, he's the real deal. He's a kingdom man, and he probably hates that I'm doing all this, but I don't care. <laughs> I don't care. It's who he is. We want you guys to know who he is. He's just hes just going to come up here, and he's just going to pour out into us, and I'm excited. So...
0: Well, I don't think I can do better than that. That's it. Come on up. We love you.
2: There we go. Got it? You all hear me? Okay. Sydney, I did it. <laughs> well, gee, it's kind of interesting. Uh, I was trying to remember who that lady was. You know, <laughs> and I, you know how when you're a pastor, you know your sheep, I think I know who it was, without knowing who it was, anyway, so, um, well, look, good morning, everybody, it's just such a joy to, to be here with all of you, uh, my name's Jack, as they said, and this is my wife, Trish, Trish, would you come up here a second, you have a word, right, you feel, is that okay, Pastor J- Jason, yep, so, <clears throat> there you go, all right, um, so our resume is kind of like this. We, we, uh, as, as uh, Jason and Liz said, we had the privilege of pastoring them from the time, gee, from which they were toddlers, and I think I officiated at your marriage. I remember that. And so what a what a great journey to see what God's done to look and see what God's done. Um, uh, Trish and I have been married for fifty years. About two weeks ago, we celebrated our fiftieth. And yeah, and uh, and uh, man, and, and of course it was all my doing, right? You know. So, uh, so we've been in ministry for over forty years, and uh, we have four married kids who have long flown the nest, and we have twelve grandchildren, and almost all of them have a, a relationship with the Lord to varying degrees. As kids go, and uh, I, I, you know. More than seminary, more than all the rest of it, the ministry, that's probably I'm too close to you, the, the the idea of family and ministry tells more about people's lives than all the degrees and all of the, the other kinds of things. So here we are. Uh, our real claim to fame is that we were able to pastor these guys. And before I, I was able to come into the pulpit, they said, don't tell any embarrassing stories about us. And then Liz tells us a story right away about shaking butts. Really? You know, it's like that kind of thing. Trish, you have a word?
3: Hello. Oh, yep, yeah, it's on. Uh, yeah, when we were back in the prayer, my husband asked me last night, you know, I'm going to call you up and if you have a word for the church. And I said, well, don't have anything. So then when we were in prayer this morning, I got a very, very short word. But I am going to start out with stories, very, very nice stories, <laughs> uh, because it goes along with the Word and who your pastors are. So, yes, we were the pastors that Liz, uh, Pastor Liz and Pastor Jason were under. And as they were growing up, let's be honest, Jason was the quiet one, and Liz was the fun one. I don't know if you can see that or not, but Jason was the quiet one, Liz was the fun one. All of a sudden, I hear Jason and Liz are dating. I'm going, what? What? It's never... You know how there's two people that you would think would never be put together? That's what I was thinking. Wow, they're dating. Then all of a sudden, the surprise is... Not only that they're dating, the surprise is that, wow, they're getting married. And then the surprise is they're leaving and they're going to Erie, which their hearts are here. Okay, then it's Liz, Pastor Liz, has eight children. Eight children, nothing ever would have thought of. And so what I wanted to say is I felt like the word when I was in the back is be prepared. for the surprises of God. Expect the unexpected. This is a couple that right along the way has surprised me and I feel like because they run on their knees they listen to the heartbeat of God that there are surprises around the corner so don't be surprised be prepared for the surprise the shifts the change the angles that God might move in this congregation because their hearts are leaning into God and I feel like there's something on them it's like in their lives it's been surprise after surprise at least to me it was like wow Oh, wow. And now they're in Erie, and I feel they are so, so bound in their hearts to this church and this place yeah. that God is going to move, and he's going to surprise and delight people. Um, right. You don't need this.
2: Very good. Wow. Well, uh, Pastor uh, Pastor Jason wanted me to talk to you a little bit about uh, the network of churches that NC4 belongs to and uh, that a, a pile of other churches belong to uh, and kind of what it is and so forth. And I'm going to try and do that in two or three minutes, which means this. It means I'll probably provoke more questions in you than I will give you answers. But I, but I want to be obedient to what you'd asked me to do. So a, a number of years ago... Uh, uh, I'm going to say 40 years ago, uh, instead of denominations, different networks of churches, apostolic networks of churches, began to crop up. Some of the more famous ones were the Vineyard and uh, Sovereign Grace. And you, you probably heard some of the Rhema, some of the different... Uh, and you guys have been uh, involved with Rhema for years. They're all great networks. all have a little bit of a different distinctives. They all have a little bit of... Uh, a uh, uh, different ways of doing things, but the point is, is the the idea that whereas we believe in the network that I've in is called One Focus and is based in Virginia Beach. Our flagship church is right across from Regent University, and uh, the uh, apostolic leader's name is Dan Backens, uh, and uh, I'm on the apostolic team with him along with a guy by the name of Merle. Shank, who's from uh, Harrisonburg, Virginia. Uh, but with all of these networks, the, the underlying principle is this, is that whereas we, unlike denominations, we, we agree that every church should be, in some sense, independent. In other words, every church needs to, to uh, have its own governance, and the governance of that church stops with that church. Are you following me here? Uh, that's really important. We believe that. But we also believe that no church should ever be alone. And so, and as a matter of fact, we, don't, we believe that, that Paul, Peter, James, when they were writing to churches, were acknowledging the fact that though we can't be with you, you're not alone. Paul writes to the church at Rome and says, Look, I've not been there, but you need to know I'm an apostle and you are not alone. And let me tell you about what, the things you're facing. When Paul writes to the church at Corinth, he says, Look, you you know you have many teachers and there's all kinds of division and nonsense going on at Co- Corinth and to which the 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 first uh, first Corinthian letter was written. Paul says you know you've got all these problems and so forth, but you need to know this: you have not many fathers. And so uh, and Paul wasn't saying he was the only father, but he says he was a father to that church because he planted that church. and the and the the, the examples go on and on and on. Uh, through the Catholic epistles, through John, James, Peter, and so forth. So this thing called One Focus is a a partnering of churches whose mission, our mission is, uh, to advance life-giving churches throughout the world, to advance life-giving churches throughout the world. But watch this. With humility and with grace. That's the way we want to do this thing. So the One Focus Network is a partnering group of churches that plants churches. We like to help healthy churches grow. Uh, We like to revitalize declining churches and develop pastors and leaders. You know there are churches dying all over the the nation right now. Uh, Small churches that, that can't kind of find their way. One of the things we like to do is involve ourselves with those churches in a way that we can see them revitalized if that's at all possible. So we exist for the purpose of exalting jesus in every tongue every tribe and every nation um we're relatively new uh the the network that i was involved i'm sorry i was the apostolic leader of when uh, jason and liz were with us was called grace network and that was churches primarily in the virginia area and and pennsylvania but we uh shut down that network if you will that's possible. Not really. What we did is we, we we transitioned it and joined with another network called New Life in Virginia Beach, and we formed this new network uh, called One Focus in 2017. Since then, we've been involved in planting churches in West Africa, in Haiti, uh, and, and then COVID hit. Well, you know, it kind of like put everything on on hold. But it, but it's been a great journey. Uh, uh, one focus uh, has relationships with other similar networks. Uh, there's a network in, 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 based in England called Ground Level, and we're partners with Ground Level. Ground Level works into Europe, out of, uh, out of England. We're partners with the TCN network, which is based in Pretoria, South Africa. We work into uh, Zimbabwe, into uh, Cameroon, uh, and then there's the uh, O2 Network in Denton, Texas and, uh, and the Destiny Network, which is based in Oklahoma City. So uh, what we're about is partnering together, supporting one another. But watch this, and it's really important. It's all based in relationship. So whereas denominations have sought in the past, and I'm please, if, if you have a heart for a denomination, I'm not taking a shot here. We're just kind of seeing life a little differently. Uh, So whereas denominations tend to want their churches to relate to a formal structure and a hierarchy, uh, and one focus, we like to believe that the Holy Spirit's going to forge relationships. And as the Holy Spirit uh, forges those relationships with one another, the Holy Spirit will also show us how to structure them. So... There is always an institutional dimension to this, but, but that's not what we're after. We're after relationship. And so uh, I've been involved in, in uh, a network where we've really sought relationship with churches and unity with other churches over the course of the uh, uh, last 30 years. And I'll tell you what, I've been in ministry for 40 years as of this coming April. Uh, I mean, full-time ministry and I would never have made it, our church would never have made it without uh, the avid uh, involvement with people with whom we had a relationship who could speak into our lives in times of crisis. And that's happened a couple of times. But more than that, we have conferences, we train pastors, we train leaders, we field missionaries. Every one of our churches has their own missionaries, but we also field some missionaries together. So it's, it's that kind of a conglomeration. And I know I'm raising all kinds of questions and all, I'll just point you over to these guys after I leave and they can answer. And hopefully, I'll be back sometime. Um, I, I want to just uh, uh, take just a moment to acknowledge, and I wish they were here, uh, Pastor Jim and Pastor Pam, and the incredible legacy, incredible legacy that they've left you all. I mean, we, we read from Psalm 100, and Psalm 100, Psalm 100, you know, talks about us being the sheep of his, pasture, uh, of his pasture, but it also says such that we would move from generation to generation. So uh, Pastor Jim and Pastor Pam, what they've done in, this, in the, the whole complex here, in your all's life and, and all of that, lives and all of that, they have set the table for a whole new generation. How cool is that you know, and they need to be honored for that, and that the, the honor shouldn 't cease i 'm um, probably going to transition out of n c four as the senior leader uh, next April and give it over to a younger guy younger than Jason and his wife uh, and and uh and so I know what 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 it 's like to to feel like i 've done this i 've got to take my hands off the baby and uh, let another generation move forward, for them to have done what they've done, I'm talking about Jim and Pam, uh, is just stupendous. And I honor them in the name of Jesus Christ. So anyway, all right. So I want to get about the business of the word of God this morning. And since I've taken all that time, I'll try and be somewhat merciful on you. And search is really great because people say, well, how do you survive 50 years Of marriage. How do you do 50 years of marriage well? And I always like to say uh, 50 years of marriage is like Italian food. You know, 50 years of marriage is like Italian food because Italian food, when it's good, it's really good. And when it's bad, it's still pretty good. And so that's kind of (laughs) like, so she'll sit there and if I'm going on too long, she'll do this, you know, (laughs) and then I'll know. (laughs) All right. Uh, I've been visiting a pile of churches uh, lately, and, and I've been looking online, and I'm here. And uh, so many churches, if you look across the, the, the landscape, are doing uh, messages on the regathering of the gathering of, of the churches or regathering the flock of Christ or however you want to phrase it. That theme is thoroughly biblical, uh, especially after the pandemic, and I know, I know some people say it's not over. Some people say it's a hoax. You know, all that stuff. Suffice it to say, there is a... The, the, the book of Ecclesiastes says there's a time for gathering stones together. We're in that time. Prophetically, we're in that time. And so that's kind of a theme going across uh, the body of Christ. Now, there are some metaphors that we charismatics love to use to describe the body of Christ. Uh, or love to describe the church and one of those metaphors is in fact the body of Christ Paul says in, in Corinthians that we are his body and then he goes on in Corinthians 12 to to talk about how we firmly fit together and that's a metaphor that we're, we commonly use and and uh uh it's, it's an apostolic metaphor because apostles like to talk about how each gift fits and how you raise up the gift and the way things go and all all those kinds of things. Matter, matter of fact, um, a couple years ago, uh, I'm going to say about six or seven years ago, uh, in Groton, Connecticut, they, they uh, commissioned a nuclear submarine and uh, they launched it. They called it the Corpus Christi after Corpus Christi, Texas. Well, some of you who know a little Latin know that Corpus Christi means the body of Christ. So there's a huge palaver. Everybody was upset that they launched a submarine that was going to th- call the body of Christ and was going to throw bombs. And I thought to myself, uh, you know, I've seen the body of Christ throw bombs for 30 years, usually at one another. But <laughs> that's kind of a, one of the metaphors that we like to use. Another metaphor we use to describe the church is the bride of Christ. And I appreciated uh, Andy's reading from Song of Solomon this morning. The Bride of Christ is that, that that's worship leaders love uh, uh the, the metaphor of the bride of Christ, because it's that flush of romantic excitement uh that has to do with with a bride and a groom. Jesus being the groom and y'all being the bride, us being the bride, that flush of excitement. It's that first love kind of first flush and and uh we need to have that all the time and worship people are responsible for keeping us in that mode. Then there's the, the by the way, did you ever notice it's not the wife of Christ. It's the bride of Christ. It's like the first love should never cease. Yeah, it's that kind of thing. And, and so then there's the other uh, metaphor we use all the time called the army of God. The intercessors love that. We're going to dislodge that principality, put in Uh, uh, a godly principality it's that kind of thing so we have the army of God and we use that metaphor the most common metaphor the most primal metaphor that 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 exists across the church world um, to describe the church is it's so common that we fairly rarely develop it theologically it's the flock the flock of God which, I mean, that's no surprise to anybody here that I mentioned the flock of God. You know what it is. I call this message the, the fact of the flock. Uh, and the, 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 when the idea emerges in the scripture about the flock of God, the theme is usually the protection. The sheep are protected by the good shepherd. So my theme this morning is protection. Protection by God, as well as the ways in which God uses all of us to protect one another. Do you realize the people sitting next to you are your protection? Huh. And so, in order to talk about that, I want to focus on uh, one of the uh, one of the more common scriptures that we've uh, referred to, and we'll unpack a little bit because we don't look at it a lot. And I want us to look at uh, this. Uh, popular scripture in the New Testament. I'm in John chapter 10, beginning in 14, verse 14. And I want to, I'm going to read it, and then I'll do a little uh, running commentary, if you don't mind. And, and this, I want to give you a context, because we miss this sometimes. This is Jesus speaking to his disciples, and his disciples are all schooled in the scriptures. And they realize, they know, they're very aware that in the Psalms and the prophets, uh, and in, 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 uh, in, in the Psalms and the prophets, in Isaiah, Ezekiel especially, God refers to himself as the Good Shepherd, and God refers to us all, the people of God, as the flock of God. So that's an important context because Jesus gets in trouble for what Jesus is going to say, all right? Uh, and this was, by the way, this, is a, this was common knowledge in Israel at the time. The priests at the regional shrines like Gilgal and Shiloh and places like that understood that the people who came there to worship, because everybody couldn't get to the temple in Jerusalem all the time, they realized those priests called the people who came there the flock of God, their flocks. The rabbis at the synagogues understood their, their people to be their flocks. Uh, Jesus went to the synagogue. Habitually, the scripture tells us. So as a matter of fact, the the word synagogue itself means a gathered flock or a gathered kind of people. In Ezekiel 34, 11, uh, God describes himself. He says, I am the good shepherd. So here we have Jesus in John 14, and the Jews are assembled, the disciples are assembled, and he says, I am the good shepherd. Now, that's interesting because he's identifying very consciously And recognizably to the people who are listening, he's identifying himself as divine, as God. He says, I am the good shepherd. And the Greek word for good, I told you I was going to do a little running commentary, kalos, it doesn't mean morally good. That's not the primary meaning of it. It means something like true. I am the true shepherd. Or you could translate it, I am the model shepherd. and In other words, Jesus is saying, I am the good shepherd, moreover, this is what all good shepherds look like. Like, they look like this. And and so Jesus continues, and he says, I know my own sheep, and my own know me. Verse uh, 15, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I laid down my life for the sheep. So part of shepherding, Liz and Jason are learning, is it costs you your very life at times. And that's that's a that's a true a, a true metaphor. So, Jesus is saying here that there is an authentic relational connection between a true shepherd or a model shepherd and his sheep. But that's based upon that shepherd's relationship with the Father God, and um, more, more than that, the protection of the sheep is worthy of our lives. For those of you who are in pastoral ministry here, because. We're talk- I mean, pastoral ministry is bigger than the pastor. You realize that. I met a couple home group leaders and so forth. Pastoral ministry is bigger than the pastor. Verse 17. For this reason, the Father loves me, Jesus says, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. And no one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord and I have authority to lay it down. And I have authority to take it up again. And this is the charge that I've received from my Father verse 19. Watch this. This is interesting. There was then a division among the Jews because of these words. And many of them said, watch this. He has a demon. Huh? He has a demon. And others said, he's insane. Why listen to him? Well, I asked myself, those are, are fairly, you know, benign kind of words that Jesus is saying there. Like, why is everyone so upset? And I believe it's because Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. I am the model shepherd. I am the true shepherd. And there was was an identification with God himself. So, uh, verse 21, others said, These are not the words of one who is oppressed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? So, gang, uh, the image of Jesus as the good shepherd is like entrenched in Christian art. You realize that, you know. Trisha and I, uh, a couple years ago, two years ago, we were in the catacombs in Rome. First century, first century paintings and drawings in each of the catacombo kind of sarcophagi that are in underground. And, And the theme of the good shepherd kept coming up again, again. The shepherd with his flock, the shepherd with his flock. The only unusual thing about it was was uh, every place we saw in the catacombs, Jesus represented, uh, he was beardless, which I never figured out why. This is first century stuff. And you know, I, I'm, I don't know, are like resurrected people clean shaven? Is that the deal? Sorry, sorry, Jason. Anyway, <laughs> all right. Uh, more than that, uh, the fact is that the, the word for shepherd here in, in, in Greek also is the word for pastor. Do most of you realize that? Like in Ephesians, when it says he has given some to be uh, apostles, po- apostles, prophets, pastors. The word pastor there is the same word here, and it means shepherd. Uh, we get the word pastor from the Latin of this, which is pastora, but it's the same word. A, a pastor is a shepherd. Uh, there's a gal by the name of Gail O'Day. She's a great teacher I like. She says this, the images of Jesus as the good shepherd and the gate are, watch this, intensely relational. And they have no meaning without the presence of the sheep. In other words, a shepherd has to have sheep and there has to be a relationship between the shepherd and the sheep and a relationship between the sheep themselves. And the identity of a community, like like this community, is determined by the shepherd's relationship to God and to the community and then their relationship to one another. So what does that mean? Well, this is going to seem obvious, but, but run track with me on this. An individual sheep does not a shepherd make. In other words, a flock defines the fact of whether or not there's a shepherd. I'd like personally, I, I'm kind of like attracted to shepherds. And I've watched shepherds in Africa, North Africa, Middle East, uh, you know, Europe, uh, Asia, and usually in the developing world, they're 14-year-old kids, but not so much in, 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 the, in the, uh, the non-developing world. And, and I, here's the deal. I have never seen a shepherd with one sheep. Uh, are you there? And this is, this is where I'm getting to the point of this message. Uh, here's a takeaway that should be obvious to us as Christians, but watch this. It's really not to many, many. Uh, uh, going around in hotels or motels where I, or not motels, hotels, uh, where where I, you know, like we're staying in a hotel locally. and, um, You know, I look at all these people on Sunday morning. They're all wearing Christian paraphernalia. They're all wearing crosses and doing this and that. And I know they're traveling. But it occurs to me, how many of these people are actually shepherded? And how many of these people are in a flock? Across the developing world, not... uh, And across the developing world, this is not a problem. In the West, Canada, U.S., Europe, there are so many shepherdless sheep, if we understand the statistics of Barna. It's amazing. And as we come out of the pandemic, the Lord's kind of done something in me to put these people on my heart. And I, look, I am so sold out to evangelism and seeing new believers like uh, Jason described this afternoon, but whereas as a shepherd or even as a, a brother in Christ, uh, my inclination in years past has been to talk to somebody and say, oh, what church do you go to? And they, they say, well, you know, I believe that the church is everywhere and, you know, we can go to Starbucks and have coffee and that's church, or I can go and sit in uh, national forests and worship God and that's church." Wrong, wrong, you know. And it didn't bother me so much before pandemic, but as this whole notion of gathering stones together has been working in me prophetically, like something's going on in me, and I feel like God doesn't want me to stand for it anymore. Because before I would say, well, that's your prerogative. I'm not going to, you know, assert myself, into your life unless the Holy Spirit falls on me uncontrollably and then I'll challenge you you know because who wants to be rejected but there's something in me where 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 I'm saying you know brother you need a church you need to be under a shepherd who looks like the good shepherd who looks like the model shepherd so, so it's not normative Christianity to be shepherdless and and so here's the takeaway. By definition, a believer who refuses to flock with other believers is a believer who refuses a shepherd and the protection that the shepherd and his flock affords them. Can, can I say that? And, and but watch this, uh, watch this. Jesus says, when, both in Matthew and Mark, when he sees the multitudes and he says, he says well, he saw the crowds, he had compassion, for them, because they were harassed and they were helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. And uh, the word "harassed" there uh, means um, it means irritated, angry, affronted. It means depressed. Have you seen people like this? And like they're across the landscape. We work with them. You know, we 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 go to school with them. And, and But here's the interesting thing. The word for, for, for helpless is the word, it means to be in a stupor. In other words, they don't know what they don't know. And suddenly I'm, I'm seeing Jesus was filled compa- for compassion with these people. Uh, and and, and uh, he, he, he saw them and they had measures of faith and measures of belief, but they were sheep without a shepherd. So I'm recommissioning our churches and saying, we've got to get these guys. Well, I don't know how we do it. One of the things, the easiest thing we can do is begin to pray who, for who God's given us. Right? Um, whether it's somebody at work, somebody at school, somebody in the neighborhood, somebody. And, and uh, don't settle for their helplessness. Don't settle. Don't make peace with their stupor that they're walking in and begin to pray avidly. But then... When the Holy Spirit says, move, move, and gather them into the fold, yeah? It's, uh, it's an interesting thing. All right, we'll move on from there. Um, what time do I finish? Uh, <laughs> no, don't say whenever. You don't, don't ever say that to a preacher. <laughs> okay, good. All right. So, look, a, a flock is a gathered group of sheep under a shepherd's umbrella of protection. Now we all know that the the nature of the protections that shepherds afford uh, are nurture. We want to see sheep are fed. Okay, identity. We want to know the sheep know how, uh, know to which shepherd they belong and to which flock they belong. Uh, Protection from being devoured by enemies. Uh, But biblically, in both the Old and the New Testament, the greatest uh, 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 the greatest danger to the flock is that the flock would be scattered. And I had to repent from God, for, to God from the notion that if a sheep wants to scatter, you know, even if they want to hide, even if they don't want to be found, as a shepherd, it's my job to see that they don't scatter to the best of my ability. You know? it, it means I've got to get over my lethargy, my, my, my ambivalence about this thing. So this is partially a confession, yeah? But it's also something to stir us up to understand we're in a prophetic season where God is gathering stones together. So anyway, so the New Testament uh, application of flock is a gathered community, I said that, under the protection of a pastoral ministry of a local church, a recognizable flock. So I'm not just putting that, the heavy on Liz and Jason here, I'm putting the the heavy on all of us to begin to get a burden for this kind of thing. We have family members who are in this troop, you know? And so, okay. All right. Um, I want to take just a few moments and we'll finish well well in time. I want to take a few moments to consider five protections afforded the church that we normally don't call to mind other than the ones that I just described to you. Okay. And the... Isn't this interesting? It's the Holy Ghost. They all begin with a D. How's that? You know. All right. The first is protection from doubt. And this has to do with people who have a tendency to scatter. But the flock affords us protection from doubt. Our enemy's first line of attack occurs when we begin to question the reliability of the word of God. If a church gathers around the centrality of the word, which you did this morning and do, and ministers his word at every gathering in some form, okay, uh, the mere fact of that is is a plumb line that stabilizes us into truth. And people who are absent from that no longer have that plumb line. No matter how spiritual they appear, and no matter how independently uh, spiritual they seem to be, to, to claim themselves to be John one one says the word dwells among us. It's that kind of thing. Um, I was with one of my daughters just recently and uh, in, in in Tennessee, and she's an avid member of a, of a good church and so forth. but this kid has always 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 been drawn to the marginalized. I mean, even when she was like eleven years old, if someone was marginalized. She was drawn to them. There was something in her heart. It's a ministry and it's a gift. And she's struggling with this whole issue of heterosexual monogamy, which is a big hot-button issue. And she said, you got to work me through this, Dad. I, I need to see where we're going in Scripture on this. And I'm working her through the Scriptures, the traditional one. It wouldn't surprise most people here. And, 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 and she said, at one point she said, but how do I know that's not just your interpretation?" Well, I said, "Hun, look uh, if if what you 're implying is that any interpret anybody can interpret the Bible any way that they want to, you need to know that a Bible that can mean anything means absolutely nothing Are you there and and, and she said, Oh, I said, yeah I said now you 're made to feel as an evangelical that our position our church 's position on heterosexual uh, monogamy, uh, our position m- means that we're these crazy flaky people who are out there. Every church, Catholic, Orthodox, most Protestant, mainline Protestants, and all the evangelical churches across the world don't question this position and see the scriptures the way I'm seeing them. That's called the flock of God. Are you there? In other words, there, there's a tremendous stability in that, despite the fact that the media, and you know, the, the meritocracy would like to make us all think otherwise like we're nutcases? Or am I the only one who sees that? Yeah? Right? And, and so, so if you isolate yourself from, if I isolate myself from you and this congregation and the centrality of the word, this, here this morning and be at the, the uh, memorial this afternoon and at the dinner across the dinner table, the centrality of the word, sooner or later, truth leaks. Sooner or later, the church looks bad. Sooner or later, we can be made to look tarnished. Are you there? So one of the things we do by flocking and drawing other people into our flock is this idea, protection from doubt. Second is protection from deception. Uh, because I deal with international leaders and leaders uh, that are... That are uh, that lead large organizations, sometimes large churches, some of the structures of those churches provide for their shepherds themselves not to be flocked. What am I saying? There's no one within the local uh, arena who can challenge the, the 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 moral behavior or or even the attitudes of the local shepherd and I, you look know, no no shepherd wants somebody in their congregation walking around with a clipboard that's not what I'm talking about but I'm talking about like there's a there's been some have you noticed the number of major ministries that have gone down the tubes in this last two years it's frightening but if you trace out all of these things and I've involved been involved in some of these these debacles, there was always a, a shepherd who himself or herself was flockless. Are, are you there? Disengaged from any sense of fellowship, koinonia, community that could challenge him. So we have a major international league leader that I love and has written so many good things and godly things who ends up falling uh, into uh, uh, Immorality, but watch this. I mean, he bought massage parlors and under the, under the rubric that they were therapeutic, right? And I just think, is it just me? Because where, where I pastor, if I bought a massage parlor, I can't know, apart from the fact that Tricia would relieve me of a few body parts, <laughs> uh, I, 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 I can't, I can't uh, tell you how many people would say, what are you doing, Jack? Is your 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 head screwed on straight here, you know? That kind of thing. Uh, so we need to, in the churches to beware of, of individuals or 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 shepherds or anybody, whether it's a sheep or a shepherd or who who can't be addressed uh, uh, as a you know as a member of a flock, even shepherds themselves. Um, oh boy. Um, <laughs> here's, here's a thought. Follow me here. Track with me here. Adam and Eve, right? Uh, So Eve eats the fruit, but the scripture clearly says in Genesis 3 that Adam was with her as she offered it to him. So when Eve took the fruit and ate of it under the temptation of the enemy, Adam had refused to flock with her. He had refused the commission to act as her husband, And as her oversight, and watched her sin, and then participated in the sin himself. And only then, that's when the fall occurred. Are you there? This is really interesting because it goes to the idea of the flocks and marriage and stuff like that. A number of years back, like when I was earlier in ministry, uh, there was a gal who was just in the prophetic side of things who was, you know, demanding an awful lot of my attention. I mean, making. Uh, appointments after appointments to meet with me and this and that. And Trish was saying, hey, this is, has to stop. And I'm saying to myself, okay, I'm young, but I'm trying to th- work this out. It, it seemed as if when she came, she was asking for legitimate care. And I knew my own heart, and Trisha knew my heart. I had n- There was no soul tie. Nothing like that was going on. There was nothing uh, dicey going on with this relationship. And so I was trying to figure out why I should say no when that wasn't present. And I was working this through and Trish was praying and she received something from the Lord and came to me, she says, here's the deal, here's the deal, Grub." She calls me Grubby. God calls me Grubby too, but anyway. So she says, here's the deal. I know there's nothing in your heart here that's unseemly, right? So I get that. She, She said this, but I sense in the spirit when you two are together. She's receiving something from you that belongs to me. I went, whew. okay. I don't know what that means, but I get it. <laughs> and it stopped. See, that's, that's protection, right? That's protection from deception, okay? So we have, uh, uh, I could go on and on about that. So we have protection from doubt, protection from deception. The third D is, perce- this is big, Protection from disorientation. And this goes to the issue of identity, all right? Um, my identity with Jesus, but my identity with y'all, yeah? And so each, I have to remember, I'm not in Virginia. I don't have to say y'all. I say protection, uh, protection, I don't call you y'all. Up here, I call you Now, uses, use, <laughs> use guys, okay, there you go. And, Each week, when I gather with the body of Christ, happened this morning, and worship in the presence of the Holy Spirit, God reorients me. Okay, it's like he puts me in my moral, spiritual compass again. It's so important that we gather together in worship. God, he, He positions me in the kingdom so that I know who I really am, okay, in Christ, and I also know to whom I belong. I don't know you guys really well and you gals really well. It's my first time here on a Sunday. I've been here before other days. But when I was worshiping with you, with you-ins or you-all or you all or you's, <laughs> when I was worshiping, I knew I belonged to you. Yeah? And, and this is a fascinating kind of thing. Jesus said, I know my own and my own know me just as the Father knows me and, 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 uh, And I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. I was in Tennessee to do this anniversary celebration, and it was just crazy. I couldn't get to church. Usually, if I'm away, I still get to church. And and it was three weeks I wasn't with the body of Christ. Even though it was with my family, and we did some praying and stuff like that, it was so busy. And at the end of that, two and a half weeks in, I found myself disoriented. Isn't that interesting? I mean, I knew I wasn't right, and I walked into church that following Sunday, and when the worship, you know, when the worship band kind of pumped up, and I began to experience the Holy Spirit, it was like God would, and I was there. I thought, oh, that's who I am. I, it's, are you understanding kind of like where I'm at with that? I, I did a, um, a sabbatical about 20 years ago. I would never do another one for four, four months. Anyway, I visited every church I could think of on the planet. Every kind of church. Micro churches, Catholic churches, Orthodox churches, mainline evangelical churches, Moravian churches, whatever it was. I wanted to be with the body of Christ. I came away from that whole experience understanding two things. I knew the kind of church uh, that I didn't want to belong to, that I wanted to belong to the church that I belonged to, but I also knew that because of the witness of Christ, it still oriented me. Because they were Christians. And they worshiped the living God. Not always the same way that I would have wanted. But at least I got reoriented. It, it, it's, it's that kind of thing. Um, one, one quick story. okay? I know, Trisha's warning me here. To have mercy on these people. So... so uh, I was in Scotland, and I did a, a, a personal retreat for a whole week a couple years ago. And I was in the Scottish Highlands, right below the Great Glen, for those of you who've been in to Scotland. And, and uh, I was, it was overlooking a huge lake called Loch Tay. The Scottish Highlands were there. And I was in a retreat center with a big picture window, big one, and it looked out over the, the highlands that were right in front of me, and there were just sheep everywhere. And, you know, I must have been able to see at least one or two square miles, and there are just sheep everywhere. One day, um, this, this steak body truck comes down into, into the lock, and, and right out on the shore of the lock, and it's got five borderline collies in the back. And the shepherd gets out, unhooks on, on, on the steak body, and those borderline collies, you know Scottish borderline collies, what they look like? Little black dogs, and they're crazy, nutsy you know, they're poster children for crazy dogs. Anyway, so so these dogs take off into the mountain, and, and there must have been five, six different flocks of sheep up there, intermingled, and those dogs he controlled them with whistles, and those dogs went and ferreted out every sheep that belonged to that flock, and brought it brought them down to the to the shepherd, so that they could begin to be fleeced. And I watched it, and I thought, oh, my gosh. This is crazy. Actually, they spray paint a little spray paint in the bellies of the sheep, iridescent, so that they can identify the flocks. Um, and they also, that, that way they know uh, what sheep are mating with what sheep, you know. And so I, I actually said to Trish, they should do that with some people. Anyway, so I, I said, <laughs> I'm starting to feel at home. You better watch me. There. So, so <laughs> So, so, like, uh, I mean, I, it was something to behold because they knew their shepherd and they knew the sheep that belonged to them. The sheep knew each other's sheep, even though there were other sheep there. And, and they all assembled there. And I went, whoa, I get it, God. I get it. You know, there's a Holy Spirit-forged identity and people yearn to have that identity. All right, I've got to hurry along here. Uh, protection from disorientation, protection from division. See, sin all through scripture is a consequence of isolation. Um, uh, isn't it interesting that you would, this is so counterintuitive. Jesus is going to go to the cross, all right? Judas is is out there um, betraying him. He knows that the, the rest of them are going to abandon him. And now they're sleeping, and he's sweating blood. And you would think that he would be sitting there saying, wake these guys up, God, help them. Father, Father, I bind the enemy in, 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 in your name, Father Yahweh. I bind the enemy. I want to see the enemy ultimately defeated by what you're going to put me through. And all that kind of, uh, of, of prayer warrior stuff ain't going on. You know what he says? He says, look, if, if, I, if, if it's possible, deliver me from this cup. But your will be done. But then he says this, I pray for them that they would be one as you and I are one. Whew. I mean, that was the burden as he was going to be crucified. I pray, that's by, and he says, I pray for them whom you, for those to whom you give them, you know, or the, who are given to them. And that's us. And he says, "Will you make them one as you, and I are one as you and I are one, Father. He was praying for the unity of the church. I mean, he went to the cross praying for the unity of the church. And, and, and then, but then he prays this way. He says, make them one so that the world may know that you sent me and I send them. Ah, What that means is you know, I always people, talk to people about the body of Christ and unity. And they say, well, there's a mystical unity. The world doesn't see mystical. They have to see us together. They got to go into that dinner tonight and say, wow, this is a community that loves one another and loves Jesus. They got to get that. And that was what Jesus prayed for at the cross. So, so, so protection from division. And lastly, and this is subtle, Protection from diversion. See, diversion occurs when we're lured away from what God has actually called us to do. And those callings are, because those callings are lived out within the context of a local church. So, I, that, what happens is people end up on a, what I call a shadow mission. A shadow mission looks like this. It's like you start out and you know God's called you here, but you get a little bit isolated apart from the body of Christ, and then, and then, or apart from the flock, and then you just adjust a little bit going this way, a little more independently, and a little more self-sufficiently, but, and that's all good, because it looks exactly like here, it's just over here a little bit, right? You following me? But then you get out there a couple years, and you're over there, and the church is here. And I've seen this, 40 years of pastoring, I've seen this over, and over again. So the author of Hebrews, uh, you know, Hebrews 10, uh, instructs us. He said, we all quote this. Pastors know this by heart. You know, uh, don't don't neglect the assembling of yourselves together as is the custom or habit of some. We, we, We always quote that. But we don't quote the bigger part because the author of Hebrews says, let us consider, let us contemplate, let us reflect upon Let us conclude uh, how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, okay? As is the habit of some. But rather doing that, encouraging one another and all the more, as you say, see the day drawing near. Now the day is the day of the Lord. I I get that, but uh, I'm pretty sure I'm not going to see the day of the Lord. It would be great, but it's probably not going to happen. But I will see a day, In the not terribly distant future, because of my age, and and uh and so I am not going to neglect you guys, nor my flock. I'm going to stir up love wherever I can go. It's that kind of thing. All right, hallelujah. Okay, um, I'll invite the musicians to come up, or a musician, maybe. Hey, what a piano player, man! This guy's unbelievable. I was watching you. I was, watching, I was watching your right hand, man. It was like the Holy Ghost was all over your right hand. Anyway, so. <laughs> all right, here's what I'd like to do. Uh, if You could take out or turn on your Bibles and everybody stand up. I, I want to pray, pray a prayer of blessing on the church. I think I have a, a bit of a prophetic word. Um, but I want to close with us together uh, reciting the 23rd Psalm. Is that okay? So if you can go to the King James or the ESV in your Bibles, if you have that, or if probably a lot of you have it memorized, uh, we'll say it together. uh, As my brother plays the piano with Phelan. Um, (laughs) All right. Before I do that, I want to pray a blessing on uh, an apostolic blessing on this church. I want to pray a prayer of thanksgiving. Father, in the name of Jesus, I thank you for what you've engendered in this church. What you've engendered in this people by the power of your Holy Spirit. I thank you for for Pastor Jim and Pastor Pam and the laying down of their very lives unto the origin, the genesis of this people. I pray a deep Anointing of gratitude to never leave this flock for their lives. And as you bring uh, uh, Jason and Liz into their own and the rest of the leaders here, I pray that there would never cease to be a deep sense of gratitude for their lives. And apostolically, I speak blessing upon this people. Whew, I speak anointing upon this people. I speak grace upon this people. And I speak success upon this church. And whatever strategy, Lord, that you give them to do, whatever tactic you give them to unfold, I speak success to it. I speak supernatural happenings to come upon them, to surprise them, to to influence them so that they never turn asunder, nor do they tire. I pray for an ongoing, ongoing, ongoing renewal in the name of Jesus Christ. And I thank you for this flock and these sheep. Amen and amen. And I hear the Lord saying that he's going to be delivering this church into a new season of power relative to other churches in the area. That there's going to come upon uh Erie Christian Fellowship, an anointing that is going to draw churches who have compartmentalized themselves. I keep getting the word compartments. There's a, a spirit of compartmentalization on the churches of this area. And God says, I'm going to draw them to the anointing of power that is here. And you won't be bigger than they are, God says. You won't be better than they are, but you're going to be anointed with Uh, a soul-piercing sense of the value of the unity of the church and the value of the flock. And other churches are going to become jealous of it and want in on that anointing. God says it's going to be a graceful day for the region when that begins to be enacted. But God says, it's in my hands and I will accomplish it, says the Lord. Hallelujah. Um, okie dokie let's close by reading the 23rd Psalm together or reciting it for those of you who can and we'll do it slowly so everybody can be on track so, the Lord is my shepherd I shall not want he makes me lie down in green pastures he leads me beside the still waters he restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, and my cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever and ever and ever. Amen. Thank you so much for listening to me. God bless you all. It's been a real joy to be with you.
0: Well, church, wow, that was a blessing. Try not to cry too much. But I will, because I do. I just want to remind everybody tonight, 4 p.m., come and gather. Stay and eat. Let's celebrate together God's goodness, his faithfulness. I just want to read this benediction over you as we leave. Romans 15. Now may the God of patience and comfort grant you to be like-minded toward one another, according to Christ Jesus, that you may with one mind and one mouth glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen and amen. You are dismissed. I'll see you tonight.